And welcome to Supia Radio this morning and Mediterranean time, but of course it is not around the world or in New Zealand where I have the pleasure of talking to Linda Berry, who uh, we have chatted to before um, and is uh, a woman of many jack-of-all-trades, <laughs> but in particular that our last chat was about the Supia Gathering, which was an event down in New Zealand um, and I'm, I'm going to stop there because I think, Linda, you are someone much better to elaborate on that one for us, for those of people who uh, don't know about the Supia Gathering. Yeah, Lovely to have you that. back. Thank you. It's nice to be back, actually. It's really nice. Uh, Supia Gathering, yeah. Um, we haven't taken our foot off the pedal since our inaugural event in March. And... Um, we're just starting to do all the planning and everything for the 2020 event. And then, of course, the 2021, which is immediately after the America's Cup has sailed. But um, what is the Super Yacht Gathering? Well, it's, it's um, an event where we're bringing together like-minded people in our industry. Uh, not just in the industry, but Super Yacht owners, um, influencers, I hate that term, but... Um, super yacht designers, senior crew, we're bringing them together and talking and sharing about experiences, stories, just communicating about um, how we can continue our industry and continue to love and enjoy super yachts in an ethical and a sustainable manner. So we're talking about innovation here. We're talking about um, things that people are doing. We had... Um, Captain James, and I've just forgotten for James's last name, off of the Fly Fleet. Captain James Knowles, he's the altruism officer of the Fly Fleet. He talked about what Dragonfly did in Vanuatu and what the rest of the fleet is doing around the world. Whenever they stop somewhere, they never, ever leave a place without giving back. And, you know, that, that sort of stuff is, well, same as what you know, Ellie and I do, we try and lead by example. And I think, you know, the owner of Dragonfly and the crew and the team of Dragonfly and the Fly Fleet are doing exactly that. Mm. And unless we get them to mm. talk about it, nobody knows. Um, yeah. Well, I, so, I, I think that some of it is um, a growing awareness. I, I mentioned this because my 15-year-old my said last night, um, has anyone noticed, particularly if they don't, well, she actually only does Instagram. She's like, but has anyone noticed over the past month or two, all of a sudden, because my girls, um, tomorrow is World Ocean Day, and Wednesday was World Environment Day, and um, my girls are going for beach clean this morning with their school. And so my 15-year-old said, has anyone noticed all of a sudden over the t past two months, now everybody's talking about pollution. It's like it hadn't happened before. And now, you know, on my Instagram, something pops up, you know, every day about pollution. And I think it, it I mean, you guys were kind of really trying to get this discussion in back in March on, on a bigger platform in, in many ways. It wasn't just looking at pollution. It was looking at a broader scale for our industry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it, we've watched the young people talking about it and doing it for so long. 
Well, not for so long. Uh, you're right. It is a bit of a trend. But I can remember a long time ago being in primary school and learning to spell the word pollution and learning that word. And and I think about it now because in the 70s, 80s, 90s, we sort of forgot that word, mm. you know. And and now it's just coming back again because we're literally swimming in it, you know. And, and uh, I mean, any beach cleanup, I don't know if you've done one, but man, you go and it's plastic bags, plastic straws, Bic lighters, you know, the disposable lighters. And, you know, the other thing, I don't know if you have them in Spain, but down here there's bait bags, you know, from fishermen when they go out to catch fish and all the uh, herring or whatever, they're always in a plastic bag. And so the first thing when the wind blows that gets blown overboard is these little plastic bags. And, uh, well, see what your daughter collects today, but it'll be astounding. And cigarette butts. Yes. Uh, Actually, the biggest offense in water, air, um, in water pollution or ocean pollution is cigarette butts. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, I, actually, I, I mistakenly thought that they would actually break down quicker um, for some reason. I didn't think of them as being plastic-based. But uh, they are the biggest offenser, offense in pollution in the ocean, more so than all the other, you know, all the other, th- all the other stuff. Um, but it, it's also a bit, you know, I, I actually remember about five years ago hitting the term microplastic. It was sort yeah. of a new term where now, you know, even up in the Alps, it's it's raining down microplastics. You can find them in these pristine parts of the mountains. Um, and I think, uh, yeah. I was just, did you read that thing? It was in, um, I read it online, but the guy who did the deepest dive in the world and when he got down there to this cave, um, there was a plastic bag. There was three items of plastic in there. We actually had the pleasure of uh, talking to the team because we've been talking to them since December, since they left. So um, we got to talk with Rob McCullen, who was one of the organizers, and Patrick Leahy, who built the submarine and Victor Vescovo who was the instigator and the adventurer of it all Um, I think it is true that he saw um, plastic I think a little bit for them too though is they um, that is what finally caught the media attention I mean they've dived down to the four deepest parts of the oceans they've discovered new species they're creating a cartography of the whole ocean floor as they go. Um, they've got scientists on board. And it was only after the fourth dive that the plastic bag is what caught the media attention. But all this amazing research they've been doing on the other four dives, you know, as well as creating these incredible maps for us that, you know, we've never been able to really understand the depths and, and the mountains and the valleys and the everything that's on in the ocean floor. Um, uh, that is what finally hit off in, in media attention. Um, but it is true, it was down at the deepest depths. But he said, actually, um, it in some ways, down in the deepest depths, it was still beautifully clear. And 
relative to higher because they've kind of been doing segments the whole way through the ocean. Um, so they're they take uh, you know the deepest depth and then the next segment up and the next te- segment up, and they've been um, as they've been going, they've been kind of doing surveys as they go, and the deepest depths are you know still relative to um, other areas because actually a tremendous amount of our plastic does still wash up on our beaches. Yeah. If you look at how yeah. the tidal stuff goes. Um, that's where it comes back in. So, I wonder if he'll, he'd like to speak at the uh, next Super Yacht Gathering. Ooh, well, they're back. It, that's an interesting idea if he's not off on his another adventure because he's one of those kind of guys. But they are back uh, this autumn, I believe, August, September. They're finally uh-huh. uh, finished their trip. They're still going for a fifth dive now, and then they're coming back. But just an amazing team and I think um, their contribution of what they've discovered and the fact that we can go down that deep you know Um, and and because of our new equipment of what we're discovering about how the ocean floor is is and um, the number of new species they've discovered um, is going to be, you know, two or three years, they figure at least, to kind of decipher through all the, all the discoveries they've made. But, but we need people like them, you know. We need people like them to just open our eyes and let us know what's out there. Yeah, and, and kind of be able to tell us the different, the different aspects of it, you know, because the images we get tend to be the ones... The, oh, oh, I'm sorry, it just makes me sigh. The distressing ones, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think that part of it as well is is also, and this is kind of coming back to your, your gathering, is it can be, quite frankly, it can be depressing. It particularly, I mean, I find it depressing sometimes to say to my kids, when you're my age, potentially we could be living in a very different world. I find it, I struggle not to find that depressing. On the other hand, at least finally, it's like the world has woken up and the quicker we can move on innovative ideas and collectively as a society, look at better Mm -hmm. ways and smarter ways of doing things. Um, And and that is the positive side of everyone waking up is, even, and I've been reporting this, you know, for the past, well, we started over a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, but particularly in the past six months, I will see a lot more innovation coming in from Adidas runners that you can recycle the whole thing to new plastics that you can recycle in a whole new way to people finding new ways of making plastic from cactus leaves to... And it hits our industry as well. How can we build our our yachts better so they use less fuel? How can we use better paint so it doesn't need the same anti-fouling? How can we... So if we can all collectively keep moving for innovative ideas, then I believe we're moving to a better place. Just we've got to do it with a bit more speed. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, You know, though... it. If we're talking about it, it, some of it's depressing. Some of it is really exciting. And, and 
I guess that's what I, I mean. I'm starting to put together some speakers and stuff for next year, and there's some stuff out there, you know. And specifically, I mean, obviously we look at the super yachts because that's what we know. And not only that, you know, super yacht people, we have the means to do this sort of stuff. When I'm saying we, the owners and of super yachts have the means to change things in the sense of. You know, I think I told you the last time about the bottles that we used, which are, they're 99% recyclable, but they're made from a plant. And they look like a plastic bottle, but they're not. And we have little recycling um, containers and you throw them in there and um, Jaden and Jordan and them take those boxes back down to this recycling center, make the compost. Um, that uh, they're actually the compostable, the bottles. Yeah. Totally, totally. So cool. And actually, if I don't keep water in my bottle, it starts to break down because it's a plant. It needs water to to stay alive and to keep the sides going. I'll send you the link. You can put it on the website. And it doesn't Um, have any taste because um, recently in the London Marathon, they had these um, water... um, What were they called? Something like Uhu or something. And they were little water capsules that you were able to, you know, squeeze, get your water out of, and you can eat them. But supposedly they were seaweed-based, and um, they didn't taste very nice. And unfortunately, they weren't the only thing provided, since after the London Uh, Marathon, there were streams of um, water bottles around the place. Really? Yeah. And, And no recycling blanks. Which is the other, you know, you, you would think at least for the public who wouldn't necessarily have these water pods, they would provide water or plastic recycling bins, but they did not. Yeah. So it, well, I was very excited beforehand like thinking, yay, look at this first marathon in London. They're doing it. And then uh, on social media, I got posted back pictures of post marathon <laughs> in London. <laughs> and I went, oh, <laughs> well, it's, it's exciting. But. I mean, the intentions are there, but I, sometimes I think it's more of an intention just as a marketing ploy. And and that's one thing that Ellie and I have been really careful about. We are not, you know, it's not an environmental um, get-together. It is it's a get-together, all of us, a community of people. And, and we don't always talk about the environment, but what we have made sure is that all of our events are low-impact, sustainably focused, Everything is, you know, recyclable, uh, compostable, or, you know, whatever we can do. Everything, and um, and we have to lead by example. And and parents and grandparents alike need to change. And the kids are changing, mm-hmm. but they still need reinforcement that it's okay to say, "Oh no, thanks, I don't want a plastic straw." Or, you know, you still go to Starbucks here, and we still get a plastic straw. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like hello. Uh, Europe, I I have to say, our our and I will put my hands off to France for leading the way on that of being the first country to ban single use plastic straws, knives and forks, plates, all of that. And then um, EU have passed legislation for a you know ban throughout the EU. And then very coolly, I have to say, I saw yesterday in the news that France is again leading the way and asking all supermarkets for any, they create 650 million euros of unused, unsold products, which are then 
dumped or destroyed. And they're asking yeah. for those products to then be upcycled, you know, given to charities, given to people need, whatever. Don't destroy them, don't get rid of them. Use them for something else. They're already made. And uh, so, uh, you know, with certain countries in particular, I, I believe Ireland, my home country, is going to is aiming to be the first European country to change entirely to renewable energy sources. Um, I'm hoping they will get there quickly. But you know, um, you need people to take the stand, whether it's parent, whether it's country, whether it's boat owner, whether it's um, obviously it. The more money you have or the more power you have, the bigger impact you can have. But that said, mm. you know, look at Greta Thunberg, who's 16 and just sat outside every Friday, her Swedish parliament, you know, with a placard. And if I had seen that back in August or September, I wouldn't have thought then that she could have made the impact that she has made on a whole generation throughout the world. So step by step um yep, exactly. i was just thinking about that and i think the biggest thing is we have to make it not it has to be uncool you know to to not care and i think you know i i mentioned that to actually sam sorgiovanni when he was doing his talk and he was talking about 100 meters and and bigger and i just said you know we just have to make it so that people actually brag that they're going smaller because it's better, you know, it's, it's more environmentally friendly, it can get around the world better, it's it, all this stuff, rather than making it a status symbol to have a 300 foot boat, that you actually have a status symbol because you've only got a 120, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have to make it's cool, uncool, it's either, you know, it's the must have, it's the handbag, you know, it's a, the must have has got to be um, a, a completely environmentally friendly, sustainable boat that still uses fuel okay, but they also have alternative power and, you know, it, uh, we've just got to do it. And we've just got to make it really uncool not to do it and be actually looked down upon. Look at smoking. I mean, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, it was, well, 20 years ago, it was still okay to see somebody smoking in a movie or in a sitcom or whatever, you know? No, you'd never see it. And you'd actually, never see it. you, see, you know, oh, if see you look smoke. generally because of legislation they brought in, it's dropped by about a third. They're, they're having the same debate whether they should do the same thing about sugar, since we're consuming yeah, a we're, lot we're too much sugar. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you think about how, well, at the super yacht gathering, 130 people, there was two smokers. Wow. And everybody impressive. knew who they were. I thought so too. <laughs> so, you know, if we can change that sort of thinking, we can certainly change the way we behave on the on the boats. I think you know. Yesterday, I think, can I just say? But for your superior gathering, I think what is interesting as well is um, a little bit like getting the whole team together. You know, uh, it it's also trying to get people of, of all different aspects in the industry. So from the owners to the captains, to the yacht designers, to the, because kind of you need the innovative thinking of, of many different levels and aspects of the industry in order to be innovative. You can't just have one side of it 
talking. Exactly. Exactly. Because if you look at a designer, they have to make an income. That's their livelihood. So they can't, if somebody says, I want a hundred meter boat, you, well, you can, but you're generally not going to say, well, no, I'm only going to build you a 42 meter boat because it's environmentally friendly. You know, it, it, it everybody has to work together on it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and come to a collective agreement and, and, you know, we have to plant those seeds and that's, you know, Ellie and I, when we started the Super Yacht Gathering, we just heard so much, um, that's really bad grammar, um, we just heard so many great stories about, um, you know, things that were going on, things that were happening, and not just about pollution, but about, you know, people and, and humanity and um, helping, you know, the um, um, the guys that are on uh, the Sea Mercy Project, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that's cra- a crazy collaboration between, you know, the Dijkstra Naval Architects, you know, Patrick Wetter, um, I've just forgotten his name in, in the States, and, and Port Denarau Marina in Fiji, and they're all coming together to build this boat that's going to be a floating medical um, facility uh, for the outer islands around Vanuatu and Fiji, and, you know, but that's collaboration. Yeah, and and that's facilitated by super yacht owners who have seen some of those tragedies, and they, you know, they've they have their yacht, and they go, you know what? I've got all this, and I can give some of it away, or I can I can be active and help out. And and then you've got you know crew and passionate people like myself or Patrick or other people, Ellie, that say, okay, you fund it, we'll do it, and that's what's happening. It's fantastic. Well, and it's and that's the what giving back thing. About. You know, one of the um, charities I love Absolutely. is the Yachting Gives, uh, sorry, not Yachting Gives Back, that's one here, which is um, about food collecting for Mallorca. But I feel that there is a, a and I think it has increased over the years. Um, for example, Yacht Aid Global, last yeah, year after the hurricanes, really. they had one of my slipstream come around, and they came around again this year. Um, can't come around. The owner of Slipstream just got the whole super yacht completely emptied out, filled up, brought over, you know, and, and it's that moving and, and organizing super yachts, which aren't being used with owners that, you know, do care. Just your level of money does not necessarily mean how philanthropic you are. You can have lots of money or little money that does not necessarily assess um, your philanthropy, although it does definitely help to have more money to make a bit more of an impact. (laughs) You know what? Uh, You know, there's also the trickle-down effect. And, you know, since we had the Super Yacht Gathering, one of our um, sponsors, Asia Pacific Super Yachts, they turned around and they went, right, we're going to walk the walk. And they have become a carbon, what do they call it, carbon... Uh, neutral office and are using um, tree planting program down in the South Island to offset the carbon um, emissions and stuff from their cars and their travel and all the stuff that they do in the office because I guess there's a service you can get that actually counts how much carbon you're using and then you offset that by planting trees and they just went you know we got to do something and let's start here and they're a small office there's three of them I think you know we're not talking about yeah 
And and there's other stuff, you know. Um, we had a door prize called a crucible, which was built by a, a furniture maker down in the South Island, um, Ed Crookshank, and we gave it as a spot prize. And Tom Hill from Rivergate Marina in um, Brisbane, he won it. And Tom turned around and donated it to the um, Wayfarers, uh, what's it called now? The Wayfarer Foundation, which is teaching traditional navigation. And he'd heard the talk at the Super Yacht Gathering, and he said, you know what? I don't need this fire pit as much as these guys do. And since then, the fire pit has been, well, we're just sending a press release on it, but we've given the fire pit over to them, the Wayfarer Foundation, and it's going in front of the, I call it the longhouse, but the meeting house up north on the um, land where they teach the navigation to young people, mostly, um, on the traditional way of the navigating for the Polynesians and the, all the people of the South Pacific who originally populated New Zealand. Wow. And is this kids from, um, like, any kids can come and join? Is there a particular focus on...? Um, no, uh, any kid can join. It's a long way up, so it's generally going to be, you know, the Sea Scouts or schools... Um, that'll do a trip up and they spend a week up there and they learn um, celestial navigation in the way without the sextant, you know. It, we had a look, uh, John Pinojo, who is the, uh, I guess he's the CEO, he leads the Wayfarer Foundation, but he was showing us the land and they've got this massive sundial and there's a, a seat right in the middle of it of carved wood and one of the kids who's navigating for that week or whatever has to sit on that seat every day at the same time and recognize the sun positions. Hmm. And it, it's really cool. I'm, I'm actually going to go up and spend a week, and Ellie said she would too. So Sounds like fun, but, actually, you know. On, yeah, yeah. But getting down to basics, you know, if, and, and also keeping traditions going or um, well, that's, you know. and, and empowering people I down your part of the world um, we've had two three chats with Dr. Andy Lewis and he runs the Coral Sea Foundation he'd be a lovely person to get into the gathering next year because he's just another man with many many talents but one of the programs he runs is called the Sea Women of Melanesia where he <clears throat> has um, developed a program to help train the women in their uh, villages to bring them to Australia and give them some basic training in diving and and basically empowering them to be able to survey and protect their coral reefs that are surrounding their villages. And um, along with his own Coral Sea Foundation, because he's a marine biologist, so he's been looking for the past 10 years of various different ways of protecting the reefs. Um, but he's a super cool guy and uh, one for your list. Yep, I've written his name down. <laughs> um, hey, so, um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, go on. Have, I, it's lovely to oh. hear some of the, you know, extra things because when we talked about the gathering last, it was actually just two weeks after it had happened. So, um, but it's it's lovely to hear kind of the longer stories of, uh, what has developed since the gathering? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and hopefully long may it rain, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it was just fun. It was warm, fuzzy. It was just comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a really nice group of people. It was great. I, I hope most of them come back next year because it'll be really nice to reconnect with those people. And um, we'll stay in touch with them, obviously, digitally. But, yeah, and we'll bring some new people in to share some new stories and inspire and see what happens, you know? I, I think, though, in that's a- one of the things, you know, is the sharing stories. I mean, it's, yeah. I think, become what I've loved most about doing radio and I didn't see this actually as much until I took up the mic and started chatting. But um, yeah. everybody has stories to share. And deep in all of our cultures is, you know, whether you're Irish or Canadian or New Zealand, deep in all of our cultures is the sharing of stories and how st- people's stories resonate with us more strongly than I mean, we live in a world of images. How quickly can you scroll through your Facebook feed or scroll through the news feed? And, it, you know, we'll see the words, we'll see the images. But in some ways, the listening to people's stories and engaging with that is, I think, still a very powerful medium. It is. It is. I think it's, it's, um, it's we can't ever lose that. If you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, so many people said um, Michael Hill did a, a talk and Michael Hill is Sir Michael Hill here in New Zealand. And he um, he told his story, you know, and he at midway through his story, he talks about his house burning down and he and his wife lost everything. And he actually chokes, you know, he choked up and you could have heard a pin drop in that audience. And then the cool thing is how many people contacted me and said, I couldn't believe like Michael Hill's story. It just, it impacted me so much. And I think <clears throat> hearing people's stories and seeing them face to face, um, and being able to touch them or walk over and hug them or pat them on the back or slap them in the shoulder, whatever you want to do, that sort of stuff we can't lose. And sometimes I think social media and stuff, we lose that. We forget how to communicate and sit in front of people and, and just talk. Face-to-face communication and all the nuances yeah. that come with body language and how we express ourselves um, in, in our faces, in our bodies. Um, we are yeah. more complex than just a single mean of communication. And I think we learn empathy when we do that which I, I find it hard to do if you just see a plastic bag floating in, a, in the water and it's a photo on Instagram. It's a lot different when you actually roll up your pants and you go wading in the water and you're picking this stuff up and everywhere you turn, it's there. Yeah. You know, it's, mm. and, and, and sharing that with the person that's walking next to you. Yeah, yeah. The, the experience of it. Um, just I know. On, on a positive note, you know, we, yeah. I've been doing quite a bit of research about this recently, and it's to go back to your term of of making it trendy. You know, making the either the smaller cool. yacht trendy or the different design, but that's going to make an impact. And one of the things I loved seeing recently is um, of of shipbuilders that just seem to be standing out up here in Europe, in particular. 
were um, Fedship and Lursen and Amels for different reasons. Yeah. But Fedship in particular had a symposium about two months ago. And one of the things they're trying to put together, and I believe they're working with um, the Blue Water Foundation, which was set up yeah. by um, a number of super yachties, is um, a process called Yeti, where it is to uh, a kind of measurement tool of how green your super yacht is. And it measures according to, you know, I'm, and they're actually part of Blue Water Foundation is also putting together the research of, of how they measure this. But mm -hmm. I, um, in the back of my head, I was thinking, wow, you know, we have that with light bulbs, you know, how, yeah. you know, it's A or B. We have that with electronic things, you know. Oh, my God, look, this, <laughs> this machine is an E. How much does it chew up? So um, yep. equally, I think it's a very cool idea. And hopefully a tool like that, that you can say, oh, my super yacht, because I own the Black Pearl, is an A grade in, in green, yeah. um, I think could be one of the tools of making it cool to be green. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and wouldn't it be wonderful if that became a selling feature? So, so people said, you know, rather than just the category and whether it had a jacuzzi and a swimming pool is what grade it was. And so on the resale, you, you can say to your customer, well, you know, we can build this boat for you. But if you pick these options, it'll make it an A grade and you'll probably maintain the resale price. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. There has to be a commercial value somewhere, you know, for people to really buy into it sometimes. And and that would be awesome. Actually, I might phone um, the guys I know at Fedship and talk to them about that. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, if I, I had a lovely chat with um, the Robert who runs Blue Water Foundation, not on air, just off air. And yeah. um, one of the things, you know, they've been working very hard at trying to put together various different aspects. But, you know, one of the things is if you can make a boat that um, doesn't have issues with anti-fouling, that can cut through the water, that has, you know, conversion systems that I saw a super yacht recently that the extra heat from the engine is what they're using to, um, uh, what they're using to power the cooling system. All of these will mean effectively you're going to be using a lot less fuel. Therefore, if you're using a lot less fuel, you're saving money. And surely that's going to yeah. be good for everyone. You know, on, on the yeah. putting it away from the, you know, the ethics of it and just down to the pure finance of it, it makes sense even on the pure commercial finance. If we can find ways that we decrease our fuel usage, that we're moving away from cost-heavy pollution-making um, fuels to more effective ways, then it's, it's bound to be a win-win. Um, one of the things that was kind of cool about um, Andy is they have a catamaran they use for ecotourism. And they, um, from the locals, they buy coconut oil and they're able to convert the coconut oil as a backup biofuel for their catamaran. Brilliant. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, it even comes down to, I mean, I can, I can go on forever about this, as Ellie knows, but um, I was doing a photo shoot on a, 
a boat yesterday. I won't name the boat. But when we were finished and, you know, all the crew were coming off the boat because they're not living on it at the moment, they took a bag of rubbish off the boat, a great big plastic bag of rubbish. And I, and I saw it hit the dock and I thought, you know, <laughs> it just, I, I guess first off, they don't need to use a plastic bag because we now have, you know, cornstarch rubbish bags. And I don't know, I just, I just thought, man, this boat, it could do with some revamping in the environmentally friendly way. Anyway, hey, you know what? Um, how much time have we got? We are have about 10 minutes till we get to news and music. Okay, can I talk about um, America's Cup and what's going on down here? Oh, please do. Love to hear it from the horse's okay. mouth. <laughs> okay. Well, because, you know, it's one it. of those things that kind of pops up, but I know, um, yeah. and for our listeners who, who don't, you have a very, very long history in sailing. In fact, it started when you were just a wee nipper. Did you we go to her. Did you go to your first boat show, I believe? <laughs> two years old. That's my claim to fame. There Toronto boat show. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Please tell us more. And and um, I mean, the, the America's Cup is is a very big event for New Zealand. Yeah, well, it, it's a big event down in the South Pacific. I just got back from um, uh, eight days in Australia. And I went to um, Rivergate Marina, hosted a captain's lunch. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I went to the um, Bonetti had a yacht master's mm-hmm. class. It was interesting. And then I did two days at the Australian Super Yacht Rendezvous. Indeed. And Indeed. a captain's round table, which was really interesting. And then I did three days at the Australian Super Yacht Marine Export group conference <laughs> but cosmics um, for short thank you <laughs> yeah, exactly the cool thing was that every single of one of the events and everything you know whenever we were all talking always what popped up was the america's cup visiting super yachts south pacific you know oceania what, you know people coming down here and how we're going to greet them how we're going to entertain them what are we going to do all of that sort of stuff and it was really exciting because everybody's behind it. And the yacht um, transport companies, they're all excited because they, they've got the big boats are all going to be transported down here. But what's really cool is that, you know, you'll be able to come down here in your super yacht, spend time in Tahiti, time in Fiji, whip over to Australia, have New Year's Eve in Australia, you know, in Sydney, and watch the fireworks because that's always something to do, you know, that's on people's bucket list. And then sail across and get to Auckland and watch the America's Cup and the J-Class. You know, the, there's a fleet of J-Class coming down here. Mm-hmm. I there's five of them. I, I so must, I must be... admit, and uh, I apologize to my sailing yeah. listeners, I'm a little bit more sketchy on the sailing side. So the more elaboration you can give me, Linda, the, the better. <laughs> so the J-Class are... Um, the original America's Cup boats. They're the most beautiful boats. They're slender and long and very, very difficult to sail. But they're the ones that people draw pictures of the sailboats crossing in there. They're the romantic America's Cup boat. I wish it had never 
gone away from that. But anyway, <laughs> um, and there's a whole lot of, well, not a whole lot, but there's, I think there's eight in total that have all been restored um, by wealthy individuals and they fleet race. So a fleet race. So restored is in, they were built 30 years ago, but they've had a major refit. Like in in the thirties, they were built Ah. in the thirties and forties. So there's, um, boats like Belshida and Endeavor and, um, Ranger. So, and most of them have either been restored and there's one or two that are, um, replicas. But they're yeah from the 30s and 40s. Oh, it's and they're they're stunning, and and they take tons of guys to sail them, you know because it's not all automated and they're really skinny and there's no lifelines on the boats and it's it's quite you have to be physically fit and a bit of an acrobat in order to sail them. Um, and they're fantastic I presume very well. I mean that's I I presume that sailing that you really have to be know your sailing in order to be on one of these because it's going to be physically demanding because you don't have the mm. extra extras that the newer sailing yachts have. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's not for beginners, that's for sure. And they're big boats. You know, they're big boats. So, and it takes a lot of money to um, keep them going. Because but if you get one... Why would it take, just out of interest, I mean... Because I would have thought the wind is powering them more than anything else. Uh, not while well, they have engines now, but they're um, all the crew are professional crew. Okay. Um, plus, okay. they'll have um, a non-racing crew. Plus, the boats, all the components for the boats, and I believe they all have carbon fiber rigs now. Um, but they say they they transport them. I. And they don't generally transport them on their own bottom anymore. They send them on ships. So they do a Mediterranean and North American sort of route um, where they race them. And for the first time, we're going to have five of them down here. So it'll be an expensive thing. They've got containers that come with them and they've got support boats that come with them that are generally um, super yachts. And um, yeah, it's a big thing. Google so it. Can you Jay. tell me a little bit about kind of the 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 schedule and the passage of America's Cup? Yeah, sort of. Um, so America's Cup is scheduled for the sixth to the twenty first of March, and that's twenty twenty one. Okay. Okay. And before that is the Prada Cup, and that's. Right now, they're just loosely saying January, February, February 2021. So the Prada Cup is where the teams will will um, race and be down to an elimination process. And the winner of the Prada Cup goes on to race Team New Zealand for the America's Cup. And this is going to be based down in New All Zealand. All in Auckland. All in Auckland. All- but yep. then am I right that the Americans Cup then moves from Auckland and I thought went up as far as Japan in my head. Ah, you're thinking of the Volvo. Mm. I no, I had been actually following the Volvo last year. So I know that that is, oh. um, but I actually had, funny enough, or I had read an article about Japan and I had thought, I saw it pop up that it was an America's Cup, and I went, oh, my goodness. I knew it was down in New Zealand. I didn't realize 
they went that far. Obviously, they don't. <laughs> That's why the question was in my head. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a thing called the America's Cup World Series. Ah, there you and go. Okay. I believe that's where their boats are going to. I'm just trying to, I just Googled it. Um, but it doesn't have the full thing in front of me at the moment. And I don't know enough about the World Series. I, I know they are going to try and get the boats running all over the world uh, to different spots just to generate interest. You know, and get people excited about it again. And get people into the... I mean, because there's there's regattas, certainly. At the moment, there's Les Voiles d'Antibes um, in yeah. the Med. And uh, I don't know if you... Just as you were talking about transporting <laughs> yachts... I um, know, you're going to talk about Laura Piano. Uh, yes, and yeah. the loss of one, was, you know, one super yacht yeah, on, on the race. Um, my song... So there are uh, many regattas around the Med on a smaller scale, but certainly the, the Volvo seems to take the biscuit as being the biggest kind of global r regatta, to use that word, that mm. kind of stretches. But um, the America's Cup is focused in Auckland and in New Zealand for three weeks. Um, no, it actually starts, uh, well, January with the Prada Cup. Okay, so you that's the, the official start of it is with the Prada Cup, which is sort of elimination from there. Yeah, well, it becomes a festival. So um, the boats will start arriving. Some have already started arriving. The super yachts and the visiting yachts have already started arriving Um because they want to just hang out and be a part of it because there's street entertainment. I mean, it goes on for the year, um, a long, long time. And um, the Prada Cup, January, February, America's Cup, March, um, the Super Yacht Gathering right after the America's Cup. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's going to stay in Auckland, although we hope it will. But whoever wins the America's Cup, they get to take it to their country. Oh, so cool. right now, we, yeah, so it was raced in Bermuda last time. Um, and there was more political reasons for that than anything. But um, there's how, six teams. Can I ask, how did it get to be in New Zealand then for 2021? Because uh, Team New Zealand won. Ah, okay. So, so the winner we, takes the cup home to race the cup the yeah. following time. Yeah, the following time. And it's usually held every four years. Okay. Because it takes about that long to get everything organized. It's a massive, massive um, undertaking when you win the cup. Well, you, it you really can see is. it if, if you're starting in January with the Prada Cup and all the festivities and everything that comes with it. Um, it started before that anyway because we've had to change the infrastructure in our marinas in order to accommodate. There's 70 super yachts on the wait list for slips that haven't even been built yet. Wow. And so wow. that's what they're going to be building from now until next January. It, it's been for the past about six months they started. Yeah, six months ago. And uh, just on so, a, a last little New Zealand, it came up in the news about two or three weeks, uh, two or three months about, ago about um, an issue with uh, tax on, on birthing yep. boats. Has that been yep, resolved? 
Yeah, that that has pretty much been scrapped. They were calling it an anchoring tax. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, and now I can tell you, um, I don't have that information right in front of me, but I will have in two seconds. Um, they're basically just going to have a one-off fee for coming into um, Auckland Harbour um, for the duration or for three months' time. And that fee will be just a flat fee for the boats. And it's because some of the boats need pilotage. And also, um, you know, they need to be, uh, there has to be some sort of communication between our, our um, sorry, I'm looking for this email at the same time there. Um, there's there's got to be, you know, the harbor master has to be compensated in some way for 70 super yachts all coming mm -hmm. in. And if there's only... 50 slips and the rest of them are anchoring it's going to be it's going to be cozy cozy around here not impossible but cozy cozy and quite um, a bit of organizing to get that right i would think as well yeah and and of course the media decided to call it an anchoring tax and mm. it um and it's not going to be that it's it's basically going to be a one-off fee and it'll be valid for a year so um if you're going to anchor from january 2021 to december 2021 it'll be a one-off fee okay fees so, sound better than taxes to most people as well you know we're happy oh, exactly. enough to pay a fee but a yeah. regular tax that you pay over the year just sounds less appealing to anyone exactly taxes are ugly <laughs> but necessary, necessary but not necessarily <laughs> desirable <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of us pay more than we should yeah but we won't get into uh, okay well um unbelievably we are coming up to the top of the hour um yeah i see that it has whizzed by as always with you linda but it was lovely to get an update in the chat and uh, a little bit more of what's happening in new zealand um for the america's cup so thank you as always well, for chatting with us we will be uh putting this up for different time zones in the next week to catch everyone awesome. everywhere. And uh, it was lovely having you on Super Yacht Radio. Catch you soon. Thank you. See you. Bye. Bye.